I want to begin our time together this morning with, uh, with two stories. Both are true. And each of these stories can be assigned to uh, one of two categories. Smart and not so smart. You will decide. I don't think it will be too difficult for you. Several years ago, the St. Petersburg Times reported the death of a Ukrainian man who was mauled by a lioness at the Kiev Zoo. He encountered, they, they say he encountered the animal on purpose. It was obvious. He believed that God would protect him. A zoo official said that the man lowered himself by a rope into a concrete enclosure holding four lions, shouting, God will save me. The man took off his shoes and strode toward the animals. One lioness approached, attacked, and quickly killed him. Which category? Smart or not so smart? Okay. What's that, Rick? I don't think the lion got the memo. So, author and naturalist Craig Childs was on foot doing research on mountain lions in Arizona's Blue Range Wilderness. As he approached a water hole from downwind, he spotted a mountain lion drinking water. The lion did not notice his presence. When it finished drinking, it walked slowly away into a cluster of trees. After a few minutes, he walked to the water hole to identify the tracks in the mud and to record the notes. Just before he bent down to look closer... He scanned the perimeter, and there among the shadows, 30 feet away, he saw a pair of eyes watching him. He expects the lion to run away, but instead it walks right into the sunlight toward him. He pulls his knife and stares into the eyes of the lion. He knows what he must do. More importantly, he knows what he must not do. And he writes the following. Mountain lions are known to take down animals six, seven, eight times their size. Their method, they attack from behind. So the mountain lion begins to move to my left and I turn, keeping my face on it. My knife at my right side. It paces to my right, trying to get around on my other side to get behind me. I turn, staring at it. My stare is about the only defense I have. Childs maintains that defense, he maintains that defense as the mountain lion continues to try to provoke him to run, turning left, then right, back and forth, again and again, now just 10 feet away. Finally, the standoff ends. The lion turns and walks away, defeated by a man who knew what never to do in its presence. What do you think? Smart or not so smart? Of course. In his first letter in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter exhorts God's people, be self-controlled and alert. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Quite an image. And the question that I want us to be able to answer this morning is, why do we need to be self-controlled and alert and on the lookout for this prowling enemy. Now, obviously, we're going to say, so, so we're not devoured, because that's what lions do, and that's what Peter says. He's looking for someone to devour, and yet there's, there's something more. As we look at the last petition in this prayer from Matthew 6 that Jesus taught his disciples, I think we find 
some of the reasoning when we put it into the context of what this prayer has been for us. You remember we've been studying this prayer as a part of our larger study, the early Christians in Acts chapter 2, they were devoted to prayer. It was one of four things. Anybody want to remind us what those four things were? They were devoted to breaking of bread, gathering together the fellowship, apostles teaching, and to prayer. They were devoted to these four things. Their, their lives depended on these four things. That's, that's what the idea of that, that word devotion uh, carries, a, a sense of, of dependence, desperation. We need these things. And, and, and I have suggested to you, it's very likely that this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6 shaped their devotion to prayer in Jerusalem. Because many of the folks who were a part of that Jerusalem church, that first church, had been there when Jesus taught his disciples to pray this prayer. The final petition in this prayer that he gave them was this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The evil one that he is referring to is the one that Peter describes as the lion that is out to devour God's people. And here's something that I think is, is worth thinking about. I think it's really significant. And you may recall our observation and, and a little bit of discussion about how this prayer seems to be lacking in a petition for personal safety, at least as, as we oftentimes understand personal safety. I think this is a petition for safety, but it's maybe not exactly what we think of when we think in terms of praying for safety. But it's, it's, a, it's a safety, it's a protection that was important enough that Jesus not only taught his disciples to pray it, but he also prayed it for them. If you remember in John chapter 17, what is sometimes referred to as, as the high priestly prayer of Jesus these words are recorded. Jesus said, my prayer, as he prayed to his father, my prayer is not that you take them, them being his followers. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Same words that he teaches his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. I, I think... There's something going on here, something important that, that we need to understand. Okay, how about a third story? And let's, uh, let's read this one together. It's our text this morning, shall we? Um, Matthew chapter 4. Let's stand together and uh, read this story from Jesus' life together. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Probably a familiar story. What do you think? Which category? Smart or not so smart? Smart. Of course. (laughs) I'm thinking, what a dumb question. (laughs) Of course, it's got to be smart. It was Jesus, right? We have to say that. Did you notice that in two of the three temptations, the enemy said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. You are the son of God. Throw yourself down from this high place. And then in the third temptation, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, here's a question for your neighbor. What exactly was the enemy wanting Jesus to do? In these temptations, what exactly was the enemy wanting Jesus to do? Ask your neighbor. See what he or she thinks. Okay. It was a quick discussion, but I'm sorry. (laughs) This one's complex. All right. Let's try it. Let's go with what we've got. I know. We could talk a lot longer about it. What do you think? Some ideas. What do you hear? Rick, got a microphone for us? Great. Excellent. Thank you. Speaking of the microphone for our recording. Now nobody wants to talk. (laughs) They're recording what I say. What do you think? Lee, go ahead. Give it a shot. There's an interesting progression in these three. Mm. And the first one is he's asking... Um, that Jesus um, have Satan provide for him mm-hmm. so that he isn't relying on God. Hmm. The second one, he is asking Jesus to tempt God. Hmm. And then the third one, he is asking Jesus to bow down and worship him, okay. Satan. So it's, a, it's an interesting deepening progression. So it's like um, uh, the further temptation goes on, the deeper less um, ah. God Interesting perception. Okay, good, good, good. What else? Other observations or thoughts? Ellen, please. It's almost like Satan's just trying to get a rise out of him. (laughs) That progression Lee was talking about. Okay. And maybe he'll... Okay, okay, okay. Sure. Yeah, possibility. Cappy. I think he was wanting... 
It was why Jesus to to turn to him so that God would lose his greatest gift, his son, and mm. mock him if he could mock God. Woo! Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Good thoughts. Matt, and then let's grab Brian. Go ahead. I have to wonder if if Satan was trying to drive a wedge between the the man, Jesus, and the God, Jesus. It was almost to see if hmm. there was truly a change in this human being. Hmm. With the you know the coming of His Holy Spirit and and Jesus going off into the wilderness. Okay. I wonder if God was calling him out huh. and testing him to see what he was he was dealing with. Okay. As this new Jesus person is going is now you know, a child of Israel walking around. Okay. Going to stir off trouble for him. Yeah. And I have to wonder. Uh, Satan, Satan was calling him out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, now that he's put on humanity, maybe there's a chink in the armor. Yeah, yeah. Brian. He's trying to denounce God who God really is. Wow. Wow. Some good stuff. Trying to denounce God and who God really is. Powerful stuff. I, I think I think your observations are are right on. There is there is something so significant that is going on in this encounter. It's a, it's a drama, and, and if I could say it this way, I think the drama, the bottom line of the drama, is all about the relationship of Jesus as the Son to his Father in heaven. Relationship of trust, relationship of reliance, relationship of honor, relationship of obedience. You know, it's, it's not... The language doesn't really read like there's any question in Satan's mind. If you are the son of God, it's not so much doubt language is it's more that the way the language is structured. It's well, then you have prerogatives. If you're the son of God, you have rights. If you're Karen, go ahead. Okay, that's cool. It's like he's creating an independence from God, Karen says. Yeah, if, if you're the son of God, then, then that's a lofty position. That comes with, with rights, that comes with its own power, that comes with its own authority. That defies everything that we ever see in the life of Jesus, whose mission, he said countless times, I don't say anything that I don't hear from my father, I don't do anything that my father has not instructed me. Jesus was all about living for the glory of his father, the relationship of father and son. The enemy wanted to impact that relationship in order to get at the father. Hear that clearly. The enemy wanted to impact that relationship in such a way that he would get at the father and that God would be demeaned. That his glory be squelched, that witness of who God is would, at least in those moments, be dampened. If he could get Jesus to doubt, to second guess, to question at all the will and the plans of his father, well, yeah, now that you mention it, I am the son. Yeah, 
I am kind of hungry. You, you, you get the sense there that posing the possibilities that his position would allow him. If he could get him to cross that line, it would reflect poorly upon the character of his father and the intimacy of their relationship, the character of God. This is so important. This is so important. I just think that's what is at work here. Let's be honest. When, when we read that last petition of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, if your mind works like mine does, it works on occasion, I hear Jesus teach his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation. And I think to myself, wait a minute. Lead us not into temptation? Why would my heavenly Father lead me into temptation? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever wondered that about that one? Doesn't James chapter 1 say that, that when I am tempted, when we are tempted, we should not say that God is tempting us because God cannot be tempted by evil and he doesn't tempt anyone. Doesn't James say that? Yeah, James does say that. Here's the deal. The Greek word that means to tempt also means to test. Now, that's a great help, isn't it? Same word. Listen closely to what James says. Whole context. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone, but each of you is tempted when you are dragged away. What do lions do? They drag their prey away when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. The language of when you've given in, when you've let your guard down. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin. James says, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. To understand that the scripture is very clear about God's testing and disciplining of his children is is our challenge. It's it's crystal clear. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that, that God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children. Children who are not disciplined, the writer says, they're not loved. God disciplines his children. And he says, no discipline, no testing for the time seems pleasant. God is forming and shaping our character as his children. He is not satisfied to leave us in the state that he finds us. You remember the story of the prodigal son, Luke's gospel. The the, the kid came home looking shabby. And smelling like pigs. And the father did what? He cleaned him up. He put his best robe on him. And then he threw a party. We come to God through faith in Christ Jesus. And he redeems us. That's amazing. You look pretty excited about that. And then he welcomes us into his family. But we stink. We do. And we look horrible. And because he is a good and loving father, he doesn't leave us that way. He goes to work on us. 
He begins the process of cleaning us up and preparing us for the ultimate party, his eternal banquet. And then, then the drama begins. Then the drama begins. I read one author this week. Uh, he, uh, he said, if you don't believe in God and the devil, I wouldn't say you're crazy. But you're intellectually malnourished. <laughs> the drama begins. The spiritual battle begins. Enter the enemy. In the original language, the word that is used for Satan means adversary, slanderer. The truth is he is the adversary of God and he will slander God every opportunity he gets through every means at his disposal. So Jesus, the son, was led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tested by the father and the enemy, the adversary, the one who hates God, shows up and does what? Turns the testing into temptation that will lead Jesus, the son, into the sin of doubt and questioning of his father's character. The line between testing and tempting is crossed in our hearts. A test, I believe, becomes a temptation when we begin to consider the possibility that our father is not who he claims to be. When we begin to question his goodness and his faithfulness and his plan to clean us up and get us ready for the party. And we can be sure that the enemy has showed up. When we begin to think in the midst of our circumstances that there is more to life than living in an intimate relationship of absolute obedience to our Heavenly Father. When the doubts begin to come, be aware. Be very aware that the enemy is lurking. When we begin to think that God is holding out on us and that there is joy and satisfaction that can be found apart from living according to his will as revealed to us in his word, the enemy is lurking. Does this make sense at all? Okay. The battlefield is our heart. And what it is that we think we have coming, what we deserve, what we have rights to, we're, we're children of God. We deserve better. I, I have rights. What about the story of Job? Remember that story? Job, we are told in the first chapter of that ancient book, Job was an upright man. He was the most upright man in the land. Listen to how the the story unfolds. Therese is going to read a few verses from chapter 1 for us. Job 1, 6 through 12. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a head around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands. 
so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you for your faith. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out in the presence of the Lord. And Satan went out and wreaked havoc in Job's life. You know the story. If you've read that story, I, I told the, uh, the folks at Breakfast Club this morning, every time I read it, there's just this sense of, you know, when, when, when God says, if you considered my servant Job, I just think, oh, no, don't say it, you know. Don't bring it up, you know. And Satan goes out, and he allowed, God allowed the enemy to devastate Job's life, death of his family, loss of his wealth and his health. And after all that... We read that Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. And then what did he do? He fell to the ground in worship and he spoke the words that we often sing together. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Whoa. And then the most important words, I think, in the entire book, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. My friends, in the attitudes of our hearts, in the midst of God's testing, do we ever charge God with wrongdoing? That is what the enemy desperately, desperately wants from us. His temptation to Jesus was that in his time of physical need, perhaps God would not provide. Perhaps he should take care of things himself. Or that as the Son of God, there was, there was surely a better way to glorify the Father than through this plan of suffering. So why not jump from the temple, call attention to his greatness and his abilities? And interestingly enough, there's, there's some evidence that there, there was a legend in some of the literature of the day. That, that when the Messiah came, uh, he would jump from the temple and prove himself as the anointed one. Or, or how about just bow down for a few brief moments of worship? Give allegiance to something else. What harm can come from it? And think of all the good that it's going to accomplish all through our study of this prayer, Matthew 6. I, I've said over and over and over ad nauseum, this is an invitation to intimacy. With our Heavenly Father, I'm convinced that there is nothing that the enemy wants more than for the children of God to live as if they are not. Because there is nothing that will bring greater shame to the name of God than if those who are his children don't trust him, if they don't rely on him, if they don't obey him, if they don't live as if this relationship that we have been given through grace is the most amazing thing in all of the world. Because it is. The daily cry of our hearts, my brothers and sisters, has to be this petition Oh, Father, you know how prone my heart is to wander and to doubt your goodness. And I know that in your love for me, you are interested in my growth and maturity. You love me too much to leave me as I am. So, Father, as you test me and refine me, 
Oh, don't let me cross the line. Don't let me give into the temptation of the evil one who hates you and longs to bring dishonor to you through my life. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. It's a humble recognition of who we are and how dependent we are upon our Father, that we would not cross that line, that He would strengthen us in those times of testing, that He would make us aware, very aware of the enemy's longing to drag us across that line where we suddenly have sinned in our lives and have charged God with wrongdoing. This last petition, I think, is a reminder of all that has come before it. And it's so important in our lives. The enemy will tempt us to doubt our Heavenly Father, doubt His ability to provide for us, doubt His control over our circumstances, doubt the goodness of His kingdom and His reign, doubt the wisdom of His will and living in obedience to His moral will as revealed in His Word, to doubt His faithful provision. And also to doubt the necessity of forgiveness in relationships. How important is that? Extremely important. So that we might know the intimacy that we have with our Father. You see it? Does it make sense? This is not a plea for God to protect us from the evil one because he might harm us or do bad things to us. Of course he will. Every chance he gets But that's not the point. And that's not the request. Ask Job. The point is, is that as the enemy assaults us, should God give him permission in our lives as he did in Job's life? May we have the grace and the strength in our heart and our character to recognize the goodness of our God and his cleaning and shaping and molding process preparing us for the party. Praise team. You need to come up as we prepare to close. It's not about us, my brothers and sisters. I know we say that so often. But I hope that that theme has come through loud and clear as we've studied this prayer together. This prayer is about our God and this privileged relationship of intimacy that we have to call Him Father. The enemy will use us to dishonor God every opportunity he gets. If he can get us to sin in and what we say or sin in what we think so that God is dishonored through our lives, he is thrilled. Let's be aware. Let's be very aware of what is at stake in our lives as followers of Jesus. Amen.